It's the Doc Jacques, your addiction lifeguard podcast. I am Dr. Jacques de Bruckert, a psychologist, licensed professional counselor, and addiction specialist. And I am here as your lifeguard on the beach of life to help bring you back to shore. If you are drowning in the misery and life of addiction, I am here to help you and bring you back to life, bring you back to the living right here on the beach of life. So get set for another episode of interesting and topical information about recovery and addiction and all things related to substance abuse. Welcome. Before we get started with the podcast today, I wanted to take a moment to talk to you about getting help. You know, listening to podcasts and uh, talking to people or reading books or uh, watching YouTube videos is great when it comes to recovery. And I, I certainly support that. And I encourage that with everybody I talk to who's working on recovery. It helps. But there's something more you need to do. You need to actually get involved in an active recovery program. And that might mean that you need to get into a residential treatment center or you might need to go to uh, an emergency room if it's really critical. But I mean, you could go to IOP. There are a lot of different forms of treatment that you can get, but you should not be trying to do this on your own. You're probably not going to be successful. So I would encourage people who have addiction, who suffer from that plague of addiction and they're really struggling, please go get help. You can get it online. You can reach out. You can go to meetings. You can do that stuff. But if it's really critical and you are really in a life-threatening situation, get professional help. Don't just do this on your own. It's almost impossible to do on your own. But if you get help, you'll have a chance. So check yourself into a hospital emergency room if you have to or go to a residential treatment program. They're all over the place and there's some really, really good ones out there. Go to an intensive outpatient outpatient program. Call somebody who's an addiction specialist like myself. You can reach out to me through my website, Wellspring Mind Body, but you can also reach out to other people. Just Google it. Look for information about how to get help, but get some professional help. You don't have to do all this on your own. Today, I wanted to talk to you about what is going on in the pandemic. Man, people are going crazy. You know, one of the things I've really gotten a flood of calls for in my private practice and in in helping people is what's going on with alcohol consumption for people who have been at home for a year and three months now. They're just sitting at home working from home. A lot of people have kids at home because schools were closed down for a year and a half. Some people are single. They don't have children. They're just at home. And you're just locked in your house, your condo, your townhouse, your apartment. And you're working in front of a computer and you're not really interacting with people because everybody's running around scared because they're wearing masks. And have you got a vaccine? I got one. Get away from me. You don't have yours. Ah, You know what I've noticed? Drinking. Drinking, drinking, drinking. People have been drinking alcohol in such incredible large amounts that it's made it almost impossible for them to function. You know, you can't, I, I, I get that you're stressed and that you go through the day and you're trying to figure out how to get through the day. 
But really, honestly, drinking during the day, man, that is a sign that things have gotten bad for you. If you know what, Zoom meetings and uh, telephone meetings, conference calls, that's like how everybody's working it today. And I don't know about your area, wherever you're listening to this, but here in the uh, Metro DC area, the federal government shut down a lot of offices and a lot of the contractors. And, you know, some, some people are, are, they got the, uh, uh, the distinct pleasure of being able to work from home before this, and maybe they were better prepared, but I think your average everyday employee who's been sitting at home and they're stressed and they have a glass of wine or a beer or something at the end of the day, that's fine. But what has been happening is the drinking is unnoticed. So unlike when you're working in your office at home or not at home, but you're in your office at work in the office building, you cannot drink in the office. Everybody would see it, but when you're at home, nobody knows. So you're drinking. And it starts at six or seven and it's a couple days a week. Then it's every other day. Then it's every day. Then it's at five and then it's at four. And then you think, well, I'll have a beer for lunch. And pretty soon you're drinking all day long. And then, and then it changes from beer and wine to vodka, <laughs> vodka. And what I'm seeing is a lot of people who are very, very unhappy and stressed. The tension, the stress out there is, I mean, you could cut it with a knife. We just this week, uh, Colonial Oil had a uh, ransomware attack on their distribution center. And it kind of put the squeeze on uh, fuel distribution in the southeast. And so... There was a day or two where there was going to be a little bit of a shortage, maybe, maybe. And what happens? Well, everybody's all stressed. So they're freaking out. So they get in their cars and they start driving around, trying to get gas, fill their tanks. People are, you know, it's the, to it's the toilet paper thing all over again. So for two days, two days, actually it was almost three. Monday started, Tuesday, Wednesday, it got really bad. People are lining up to get gas. There's, they're panicking. They're freaking out, at least in my area. And then pretty soon we don't have gas in the, uh, at the stations and stations are closing down. Then by Thursday, you got people lining up. I was driving home. It was 1030 on, on Wednesday when I was driving home, 1030 at night. And what am I seeing? Closed gas stations because they're out of gas. And the ones that have gas. There's a line of like 30, 40, 50 cars waiting to get gas. Why? Why? Because people are panicked. They're freaking out. Their stress is through the roof. So everybody piles in every car they have trying to hoard gas, get gas. I got to get gas. Uh, they're, not they're, they're, they're not paying attention to the news. They're ignoring it. The news is telling everybody, hey, yeah. A Soviet or Russian group, hacker group, got into the, uh, the computer systems at Colonial, locked it down, demanded $5 million in payment before they'd release the, uh, the key 
to unlock their computer systems. Do you know how long it took them to do that? Several hours after it was initially locked down. So that means that when this occurred, whenever it was, uh, a week prior, so let's say Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, they paid it within a couple of hours, three, four, or five hours. They realized they couldn't do anything about it. They got to pay. They paid. They got the key. They opened back up. In the meantime, people are hearing about, uh-oh, there's a possible shortage. So what do they do? They run out and they start hoarding gas. Now it's Friday. And two days after I'm seeing gas stations close down, other others, there are people, 30, 40 cars in each one at 1030 at night. What am I seeing today on Friday? Gas stations open, two or three cars in a gas station because, of course, everybody's tank is full. So nobody needs gas anymore. And so the gas stations are open the day after everybody panics. And now everybody has gas. You know, as a behaviorist, what that tells me is people are having a really, really difficult time processing what they consider a threat. Their threat response is extremely rapid and high. And they start panic buying. How, you know, we, <laughs> there really wasn't going to be a shortage if everybody had just been driving their cars normally and getting gas like normal. There would never have been a reason for a station to close. That's my guess. But why did that happen? It happened in my area. It happened in some other areas. And that's not to say that legitimately there were some places that might have actually had a shortage of gasoline or perhaps certain grades of gasoline. But did it really need to happen? Probably not. And why are people stressed? Well, because we've gone through all kinds of political upheaval. We've gone through a pandemic. We've gone through various shortages of things, meats, toilet paper, paper towels, now gasoline, and people are freaking out. This is what happens when people freak out. They get upset. They act irrationally. And these are probably the reasons that we're having a larger number of substance abuse situations going on. Now, I've seen this. I've seen it for the last year. But, you know, what I noticed was over the last uh, previous nine months, there wasn't a whole lot. I didn't get a whole lot of new people coming in. Some people were calling because they were kind of, stressed and anxious or depressed. I don't get a lot of that. Mainly I deal with addiction, but I do get some calls for those occasionally. But what I noticed was over the last two months, a tremendous spike in the requests I'm getting for appointments for people who are suffering tremendously from addiction or substance use, substance abuse, substance dependence. And the tragedy of that is that it's an, it's an outcome of what we've been going through for the last year, year and a half. If you find yourself in that position, what do you do in that position of I'm stressed and I can't take it anymore and I got to get something to calm down. So then you drink and drinking seems to help until it doesn't help anymore. And that's where I come in because I'm getting the calls from people who are looking for help because their coping mechanism that they were relying on is now turning into addiction, dependence. 
<sighs> should feel better. You should try to take a walk. Go exercise. Well, you can't. Because you can't you can't go outside because you're afraid. The person's mask is not protecting them, so they freak out. You can't go to gyms. People don't keep that news, keeps you know, contributing to this as well. But the concerns about things has just gotten out of hand. And people are irrational. They just are irrational. It's been what, a year and two or three months? since the uh, official kind of shutting down of society and everybody understands social distancing masks. I don't even want to get on that, but masks. Great. Okay. Vaccines. And still like there are people driving around in their cars with their masks on. What are you doing? Oh, you're freaking out. You're in a closed vehicle with the windows up and you're the only person in the car and you're driving around with a mask on. And it's been a year and three months and people still doing that. It's crazy. Where's the calm? Well, it's not there. And I think that's why we're drinking. I, I would love to be able to get statistics on the consumption of alcohol, the rate of consumption or the purchasing of alcohol. I'm sure that... Uh, in Virginia, we have what are called the ABC stores. All the, uh, the hard liquor stores are owned by the state of Virginia. But in other states, that's not the case. Um, but it would be interesting to see what the statistics are on the purchasing of alcohol in the area that I live. Because I am sure it's up based on what I'm seeing. So if you are at home and you're working from home and you have a problem coping Alcohol would seem like the natural, normal thing to do based on past experience. But in reality, it's leading to a lot of problems. So what can you do about it? Well, understand that drinking in the afternoon, or day drinking, is, is not good. That's a sign. If it's Monday through Friday, if you are working at a desk and you are typing on a computer, you can feel all sophisticated because you're drinking a glass of wine sitting in front of your computer. It's two in the afternoon. Who cares? It's two in the afternoon. And I'm only drinking one. But would you do that normally? Would you do that in your office? Would you sit there in your office with a glass of wine on your desk? No, you wouldn't. Why? Well, because that's not acceptable. That's not normal. So how is it acceptable in your house? Well, because there's nobody there to look, nobody there to see, to judge except for you and maybe your dog or your cat or if you're very busy maybe your child but who's going to judge well that's not normal and that's where when you are sitting there thinking that you're all sophisticated because <laughs> you're drinking a glass of wine out of a wine glass it's not normal that's one how many times are you going to the store to buy alcohol. Do you are you doing it more than you normally would? And if the answer is yes, that's because you're consuming more than you normally would. And if that's been going on for a long time, a few weeks, months, that's a sign. There's probably something wrong. There's something wrong in what you're doing. It's not normal. Do you avoid phone calls? Do you turn your your uh your camera off on your computer during Zoom calls? 
Or do you time your Zoom calls based on how much alcohol you've been drinking? Or do you curtail your drinking because you have a Zoom meeting and somebody's going to see it? Somebody's going to see you. And I don't, I don't mean just in your underwear, but I mean, they're going to see you and they're going to tell you you've been drinking. Well, there's another indication that something's not right. That's not normal. It's not normal. Are you drinking earlier in the day? Is it three o'clock, four o'clock, five o'clock, six o'clock, or is it 12 o'clock, one o'clock, two o'clock, or is it 10 o'clock? I once had a neighbor in my old neighborhood and uh, this guy had a drinking problem, but it was not something anybody ever really said anything about. And he always seemed to have a beer in his hand and he'd be out at, uh, in the evening and walking around and he always had a beer in his hand and it always disturbed me too. Cause I, I could see him, he was across the street, kind of a little over to the left of me and I'd see him out there with his son and, and he had a son who was probably, I don't know, two or three years old. And I'd see him out there with his son with a beer in his hand, two or three year old. And I'm thinking, Hmm, hmm. Eh, eh, I don't know if that's good. <laughs> And I was a little sensitized to it because I grew up with alcoholic parents. But, um, you know, so I, I kind of keyed in on that. However, you know, it just seemed like it was getting more and more noticeable until one day. I remember it was a Saturday morning. It was nine o'clock or eight o'clock in the morning. And he had a front yard that wasn't overly large. He was on a, you know, like an eighth of an acre, quarter of an acre or whatever. But he was out in his front yard and he had a he had a push mower. And. He's, he's pushing his lawnmower and I noticed he had, he had a beer in his hand. He's holding it as he's pushing and he's, it's nine o'clock in the morning. I, I, I wish I could remember if it was eight o'clock or nine o'clock, but either one of those times is not right. And he's pushing his mower, drinking a beer first thing in the morning on a Saturday. Dude, that's, you got a problem, man. <laughs> I wanted to go over and say something to him, but I didn't want to upset my neighbor. So I didn't say anything. We moved shortly after that. So I don't know what happened to the guy, but I can guarantee you he's, he's got a serious problem. And this is years later. It's like nine years later. I don't know whatever happened to him, but I'm sure it wasn't good. In any case, drinking, 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 drinking alcohol as a means to cope is going to quickly lead to problems unless you use a check and balance there. And do a little check-in and figure out, hey, man, I am getting out of control with my drinking. Because I'm drinking too early. I'm drinking too much. I'm drinking when I shouldn't. All of those things. So those are the signs. During the day, inappropriately, at times when it wouldn't be acceptable in another, in a lo- excuse me, another location. When you're working. If you were working in the office, you wouldn't be drinking this glass of vodka or this beer, this wine, I wouldn't be doing that. Well, then you shouldn't be doing it now. But if you are doing it, understand you got a problem, brother, you got a problem. These weekly podcasts I do are my attempt to help support people who are in need of help. And I know how difficult it is when you feel like you are alone and lost and suffering and you don't have to. But the the first part of this is to reach out for help. 
put your hand out and say, help me up. I need some help. Find a therapist, find a hospital, a rehab center, a friend who's in recovery, go to an AA meeting, do something, but don't suffer alone. And remember, you're not alone. There are a lot of us out there that have the same problem and have conquered it. This podcast is brought to you by Anchor.fm. It's a free podcast platform that has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. I've talked many times about uh, the cause of addiction, and I firmly believe, based on my clinical experience, that addiction is caused by people who have a difficulty in trying to self-regulate. Their affect regulation is uh, not there. Affect is a clinical term for mood. Mood destabilization, affect dysregulation is what we call it clinically, but that, that mood stabilization thing, it's a problem. And it's a problem for people who suffer from severe trauma. If you were attacked, molested, abused as a child, you probably suffer from addiction in one form or another. And uh, it's very difficult for you to understand how to um, feel comfortable. And people use because they're uncomfortable. So being uncomfortable is going to result in you feeling like you need to calm down. And so then that calming down, that pacifying that 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 uh, that feeling of discomfort is usually produced by using substances. So what I have found in my clinical practice is if you were traumatized, your chance of being an addict has gone through the roof and you probably are. So that's one thing. However, childhood trauma is not the only source of uh, addiction. If somebody has lived a, a great life, but they still, you know, they're they're traumatized soldiers. PTSD, um, combat soldiers are a good example of that. EMTs, paramedics, police officers, they suffer from PTSD. PTSD is a current trauma, right? So you have this exposure to a more current trauma. And I don't think anybody's really talking about the fact that what we're going through is traumatic. People are being traumatized. By, and I was kind of poking fun at the person who's driving their car in a closed car with the windows up, the mask on. Um, that's a person who's been traumatized by what's going on. Somebody who's freaking out in public because, uh, somebody's either not wearing a mask and they're the person not wearing the mask and they're flipping out because they're being asked to wear one or because you're wearing a mask and you see somebody else that isn't wearing a mask and you flip out on them. What's happening? It's, it's, uh, you're being traumatized and trauma being the mother of all addictions, right? That's the, that's the birthplace of addiction. Well, we don't really hear much about current trauma. You know, you hear it like, again, you hear like soldiers talking about PTSD. We, we talk about that, but nobody realizes that these are people, uh, generally young men who were in their, you know, 18 to 30 year age group that are, are suffering current trauma through exposure to combat. And then they become an addict. 
because of the PTSD, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. So post-traumatic could be something new. It could be, it could be happening. You could be 50 years old, 60 years old, and you have something horrible happen. That's trauma. So when you're dealing with trauma, um, you, you got to understand that you're dealing with it when you have gotten it. And that time when you have gotten it may be later in life. I'm, I'm what, 58, 59 years old. I can't even remember. Um, <laughs> and the stuff that we're going through today is traumatic. So you could technically say I'm being traumatized. It might be very mild, but you know, feeling of, of unease, uncomfortableness because of, of one situation or another that's going on in society. That's called trauma. So trauma that you have may be occurring right now. So you may be suffering from trauma and it causes you to feel uncomfortable. Thus, then you get exposed to a drug of choice because you're trying to calm down. And the next thing you know, you're, you're, you're an addict. You know, you become physically dependent on something or you're just really heavily abusing it like alcohol drinking during the day. So I want, I want everybody to really understand and get their arms around the fact that, you know what, what we've gone through is a traumatic experience on a global level. Uh, other countries, I, you, people could be, I know people, there's some people from Ireland are listening to this podcast and you're being traumatized, lockdowns, suspicion. I mean, even here, here in this country, we have states and local municipalities that have num telephone numbers set up where you can, you can turn in violators. I mean, what is this Nazi Germany, right? It, it, it's, it's like, wow, the paranoia and the fear that is being in, in, in caused by this is just unbelievable. So trauma is the birthplace of addiction. Trauma is the mother of all addictions. It's, it's the incubator. So think about the fact that you are being traumatized. You have been traumatized and being traumatized, whether we want to think we're like some, you know, we're very tough and we can put up with it and whatever, but you know what? It still is there. So we're being traumatized and then you feel uncomfortable and then you use a drug of choice. Not an excuse. That's an explanation. So if you've been drinking during the day, it is not good. You need to reach out for help because it's got to stop. Because if it doesn't, that's going to be the next thing that takes you possibly out, if not just down, but maybe out. But you have been traumatized. And, and I don't know where you go to talk about this stuff in your life. But, you know, I feel really upset and angry at times when I see things that are upsetting. I read it on the news in the newspaper. I see it on, on the news or I read it in a newspaper. And it's upsetting to me. But at least I have a wife who she and I talk about this stuff. We share that stuff. And she sees things too. We travel. We've been on planes. We're driving around in other cities and other states. And we see, you know, the difference in, in how people are interacting based on, you know, uh, regional or local uh, mindsets. But it is traumatizing. It truly is traumatizing. And, and you have been traumatized. So you've got to get some help in trying to understand the trauma. That's why I'm urging everybody to think about reaching out to somebody who's a professional, maybe just get into counseling for, even if it was just for like, you know, three or four or five weeks, just to talk through your trauma, your pandemic and your social induced trauma.
You don't have to suffer from that trauma alone. And you certainly don't need to be drinking. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm gravely concerned about um, what we're going to see in the next, over the next summer, uh, this summer coming up. I, I'm deeply concerned about it because I'm seeing people more and more and more in my office who are reporting that. But I also know that for every one person that comes into my office, there's probably 10 or 20 that need help that aren't getting help. So I'd say like all, you know, we're a pretty friendly, uh, a therapy friendly area here. Um, you know, so I know that there are a lot of, there are a lot of other therapists around here. Um, but I know that people tend to kind of shy away from getting help, getting therapy. They think they can, they can muscle through it. I can do this. Trust me, drinking problems and the inability to cope with those drinking problems is not a failure of willpower. It is a failure of asking for help, not self-help, but asking for help. So we are traumatized. We have been traumatized for over a year. We are continuing to be traumatized, whether it's social unrest, political unrest, pandemic, or personal unrest. You've, you've been traumatized. It's time to get help. So get out there and go seek help. Go call, you know, there's online counseling. I'm not a big, big one for the, the, you know, phone call type counseling, but you know, there's remote stuff. I, I do some remote counseling. It's, it's good. If you can find a good therapist, uh, my area therapists, a lot of therapists are not seeing people in person. Uh, I personally do. I know there's a lot of people that don't, but, um, you can find therapists. You just have to go look. So go find a therapist, reach out, go to, go to AA meetings, NA meetings, SA meetings, OA meetings, AA, just do the A meetings <laughs> and, and get some help, get a therapist, go into rehab, do something, but, but don't start suffering in misery alone. It's just not worth it. Well, I hope that this episode of Doc Shock, Your Addiction Lifeguard, was helpful to you. If you need help with your addiction, you can reach out to me, Dr. Jacques D. Baruchert. I can be found on my website, wellspringmindbody.com. And you can send me an email message or you can call me from the number that's on that website. And it doesn't matter where you're at. You can call me from anywhere in the country. I'll talk to you. If you want to call out of the country from out of the country that's another matter but within the country just call me i talk to people all over the place all over the country about their addiction and getting help if you need help or you have a family member who needs help reach out to me i'll talk to you and get you the help the most important thing in your life needs to be your recovery your sobriety and if it's not the most important thing whatever you are going to put in front of that sobriety you're going to lose that's just the way it works. So if you have enjoyed this episode of Doc Shock, Your Addiction Lifeguard podcast, I encourage you to listen to more. And we're going to do more. We, me, <laughs> going to do more of these. And I'm going to have some guests coming up. It'll be interesting. Uh, I don't know if anybody heard the uh, 
Carrie Sue episode, but that one's kind of entertaining. I'm going to have her on some more. And I got some other people coming up that are going to be uh, interesting to listen to, giving their insight and their perspective on their recovery and their addiction. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please, I hope you come back and listen to more. And I have enjoyed doing these and I will enjoy doing more of them. Just remember, it is not how many times you fall down that really matters. It's how many times you get back up. And all you got to do is get back up that one last time and you're there. It's not worth ending your life to save your addiction. So get help. I'm Doc Jock and this is the Doc Jock Your Addiction Lifeguard Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you.